Hey everybody, Mike Erie here. Welcome to the Voxology Podcast. I'm here with a very COVID-boosted uh, Tim Stafford, who gargle, gargle, uh, gargle, gargle. Yes, has described the the day after feeling of getting the COVID booster as a washcloth on the brain. Yes, and very um, foggy. yep, a little foggy. Which you know what? We're who knows what that might turn into. I'm very excited to see where this could possibly go um we man we've got a show today buddy yeah. um yep yep <laughs> we, we're in the middle of snowpocalypse which we'll talk about in a little little bit but we we're bringing on uh dr timothy gombas a, a, a regular contributor and a friend of the show and as always he offers really chewy stuff agree with it or not but he always provokes I yeah. just love that about him. And so we have a, a great conversation coming around um, unity and um, how, do, how do we unify um, using kind of January 6th and the events of last year. It's kind of an example of like two different places where people are operating from in the church. What does unity mean in those sorts of scenarios? Um, <clears throat> and, and, and there are a couple of great questions that have come in around that. So... Anyway, stay tuned for that. But before we get to Gumbus, Tim and I have um, have some stuff. First of all, First thank of all. you for all of those of you who've gone to our brand new voxologypodcast.com website. You've filled out a newsletter request. You've taken the survey. All of that is really, really helpful. We're learning a ton. And, um, and we're getting to know a bunch of you. We, I've gotten dozens we have There's gotten lot. dozens of emails around deconstruction and those stories. And um, so we're going to, I want to read a couple of those uh, today. But first, I want to thank uh, a whole bunch of people who have joined our community um, through like donating and supporting. And it, it's, I, I just, I'm running out of ways to say thank you <laughs> and to express how much this means and the kind of avenues it opens up for us um, to to add and build. And so I, I'm just profoundly thankful. Not only that, but what it communicates in terms of you think this is something worth yeah. investing in. I mean, personally... I, this has been one of the coolest things I've ever been a part of. And I, yeah, we're just, we cannot, we're just thankful that you see it a value. Um, we put a lot of work into it. And so it's just, man, that's so great. So I want to thank Dan. I want to thank Jordan. Jordan increased his Patreon contribution. Shilia. Uh, Shilia. 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 Cecilia, you're breaking my heart. No. How did you say Shilia? Is that how you Sheila? say it? Sheila. Sheila. But there's an I. Sheila. Oh, no. I'm not looking at it. All right. Quinn. I know how to pronounce that one. Amy. I can pronounce that one. Kelly. Corinne. Jim and Cindy. This is a couple who right when I was leaving Evie Free Fullerton came up. Literally my last sermon as I'm resigning from the church and I'm walking into the parking lot and they're like, we want to support whatever it is that you do next. And they have Red. just for years have been doing that. That was also oh, the name of the parents on 90210. Jim and Cindy? Jim and Cindy Walsh. That's amazing. 
Um, Terry, Gabrielle, and Frank. And so, my goodness, you guys, thank you, thank you, thank you. You can go to patreon.com. There are links on our new website. You can go to patreon.com and um, uh, type in Voxology Podcast. Um, there are other ways too. Tidely is another platform that we use, but all of that's on our website now, which is awesome. All right, Seth. Seth is going to introduce gombas here in a second so seth i need you to sit down while i read some stuff here okay okay all right um oddly enough tim our discussion about christmas uh <laughs> provoked some more conversation and Sorry. so I, I, I yeah and these it's a touchy subject i had no idea i had no idea about any of this and so um this is some somebody who is um emailing in and has given us permission um, she writes, uh, I love every single topic, but the last episode with the email talking about Christmas being satanic, wow, that was my childhood, but we had another twist. I grew up in a quasi-messianic, we are by no means Jewish, but we identified with all things sort of Jewish. Let me add, actual Jewish people were confused by this, and actual Jewish traditions were a bit, a bit torn apart for our own use. That is such... That is such I've been guilty of that too. Like that is such yeah. a Christian thing to do. It was all very spiritually prideful, confusing to everyone. And I would say played a part in my deconstruction. We also did this to Easter and a couple of other days a year. Um, I was always the good obedient daughter, but things haven't been lining up. Growing up at our house meant dreading the Christmas season because I knew I'd have to once again be back at our fight against the Gentile pagan holiday. Christmas wow. was so bad, all caps. My parents um, always intensely feared replacement theology um, and anything not centering their view on the Jewish stuff was referred to as we referred to it as. So instead, we celebrated all the feasts in the Bible in our own context and tried to move the birth of Christ to Sukkot in the fall. Hmm. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I'm sure all of this could be done well and with the right heart, but we knew growing up there was an actual war on Christmas where we tried to take Christ out of Christmas. Ha ha. It always left me feeling intensely alone, weary, and confused. We would try... Uh, and celebrate Hanukkah instead, but that wasn't even memorialized in its historical context with the story of Maccabees being lost and buried. I'm not even sure why we did this. So Christmas was always shunned in our house and even shamed in other people's. I look back and have such sorrow in my heart. And as I've grown away from that and closer to Jesus, it all seems so shaming, prideful, and pious. So I was listening to, uh, as I was learning to listen more, I came across a podcast by Dr. Michael Heiser, about mm. the history of Christmas, and it just reframed the whole thing. I haven't listened to this podcast, but we're fans of Heiser. So for those of you who've had backgrounds like this, maybe that'd be a good resource uh, to get into. Um, what was I it felt, called? I'll see if I can find it. Uh, I don't know. She just said a podcast by Michael Heiser about okay. the history of Christmas. Gotcha. Uh, but it opened my eyes to paying more attention around the holiday, despite the consumerism and hallmark junk surrounding the season. Um, I don't know where I fall with everything just yet, but I'm at peace and feel the presence of Jesus so much more when centering him at Christmas. And this goes for all things too, instead of the constant separatist mindset. I think that's the point. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, she, um, 
She goes on to say, and, and throughout all scripture, I now see God meeting people in their culture and time to draw himself to himself. Draw him. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Dr- like if you've been married or in a relationship with a person, and we've talked about this before, you, uh, before the Enneagram came back around again, there was the, like the love languages. Yes. <clears throat> and yes. me, it took me a long time to realize that the way that I experienced love was not the way that my wife experiences love. So I had to learn to love her the way that she experiences love. Because when I would love her the way I do, it would just like, you know, it's just shots off the bow, like didn't work. And I wonder if it's the same thing with Christmas I, or maybe that's part of the things that I think about is like, how, how does God want to be celebrated or how, how would God mm. want mm. us to be claiming his, this weird, weird thing where this deity became a human, like how would God want to us to acknowledge that? Mm-hmm. And I feel like we love God the way that we want to be loved and we don't, uh, and <laughs> oh, we're not that's listening genius. to the way that God wants to be celebrated. Oh, that's so genius. So Christmas is our projection onto the, what we want God to do for us. Maybe. That's our love language, spectacle, warm feelings, and consumeristic goods. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic, Stafford. But she goes on. She's she not done. On. She's got a little sermon that I love here. And um, why? So she says, and through scripture, I, I now see God meeting people in their culture and time to draw them to himself. Hmm. Why spend all that energy fighting other believers who see it differently? How does that honor Jesus? To me, that's the shameful peace in all this uh, preferring ideology over humanity. What always drew me to the Christmas season was the hymn, Oh Holy Night, and now I can see why. It's yeah. the whole story we celebrate and what we're called to. I'm about to marry a man whose skin doesn't match mine. I'm white, he's black, and just 50 to 60 years ago, our marriage would have been illegal in parts of this country. That's I'm insane. constantly reminded now that the story of Jesus coming to humanity, in full humanity, is quite controversial to the powerful, embarrassing, and even shameful in how lowly he chose to come. Yeah. Dang, well done. Um, got another one on Christmas. Um, <laughs> nerve. Yes, this is so great. So she writes, hi, Tim, Mike, and Seth. Seth is now an official co-host of the podcast. Seth is in the you background. You can't see him, he's yes. raising a fist in the background right now. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in a great home for Christmas. My parents loved Jesus. Um, you've talked about the Enneagram and I just keep hearing the incredibly deep and emotional heart of a type four in Tim's voice. Oh, well, boy, accurately, accurately nailed. Yes. He and many other fours I've heard talk seem to have an amazing ability to dig deep into stuff and look under the surface. They see hypocrisy where others didn't even notice it. They look at music and movies differently than I do as well. I am a type two. And tend to see everything relationally, and I've struggled over the years to see the hypocrisy and judgmental attitudes of my own heart and church and family. Mm-hmm. But it, what a great and humble way to begin an email. Trying to figure all this out has been hard, um, and I've uh, but nothing compared to the other deconstructing stories I've heard. And I've struggled to do this without leaning into my type one wing and make everything black and white in a new category. When I heard Tim talk about his views on Christmas, I was struck by how different they were from mine. My family always had fun traditions and tons of things we did together every year, including extended family and neighbors. We struggled a lot financially when I was growing up, so that did put a damper on Christmas. But looking back, my parents handled it really well, and they always made Christmas special. Um, My husband and I have only 
been married four years. We have a two-year-old little girl. It's fascinating to see how different Christmas looks and feels now that we are parents trying to make the holiday special for her. It's been fascinating to see my husband's family at Christmas because they're not really religious at all except his grandma. That's not what my growing up was like. His family has a totally different view than I do. Um, It seems like without a lot of money to buy a lot of presents for everybody you care about, some people and some people you don't care about, there's not much to celebrate or enjoy. Boy, that is so, so true. They didn't really have any traditions from his childhood, and they do very little really to celebrate compared to what I was used to. But now my attitude is to enjoy some of the things I did growing up, enjoy time with whoever part of the family is able to be there, enjoy doing things for the first time with our daughter. Um, So she goes on here at the end. um, Maybe it's a result of several years of not having any money to spend on presents or a reaction to COVID ruining many of my favorite parts of Christmas. Or maybe it's because I'm the one responsible for all the stuff and I've learned pretty quickly that mental, that mentality stinks and I don't want that kind of pressure on myself. Right. And so she just talks about how she's got kind of a new perspective. She enjoys some of the things that they did growing up, but more, um, and that's, this is so true for me. It's all about the people. It's all about right. the connecting, the presence. Uh, they just don't matter uh, nearly as much as they used to, and so I love that. I love, I love that there are there are folks that had great experiences with it and can totally. find meaning and significance in all of those and be very complimentary to you. It's just I, we're such complex beings. Just at the at point one, a human is so complex, and then you add in all the personal experiences to every one of those complex people and the way that we approach and address everything doesn't make sense it's like it's just we're such a wildly different wildly complicated species and we should always have that in mind with how you know what everyone brings to the table is such a different yep it's pretty wild it is pretty wild and and so anyway we'll we'll kind of put that topic to bed we have dozens of deconstruction stories to get to. So we'll probably yeah. do a couple of those in episodes starting next week. They're just so profound. People are very gracious. And they're, 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 some of them are written in response to ones that have been shared previously. Right. Which I and, love. Which, yeah. Man, what a great honor to be a part of this whole, whole community. So um, anyway, we've got Gombas for you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, next week, I think we're going to be talking about the death penalty, which is something we've yeah, never yeah. talked about. And then we're going to start a series um, around unity. And uh, what exactly does that mean? And, and, and really, the question that we're going to base the series around, we ask Gombas and discuss. So, till next time, friends, take care of yourselves and be well. Hey, bye, welcome to Fox RC Podcast. It's Give us a big shout out to Vox Podcast. Let's do big shout outs to Vox Podcast, right? We're yes. here with our friend. Who Who is with us today? I got Tim Gombas. You got Tim Gombas. Yes, <laughs> nothing says 2022 like <laughs> Gombas. What else you got for us? And I've got Question Wishes yep. is, is Cash. Yes, so we're holding up a poster of the musical Newsies that he got for Christmas. We're very (laughs) excited. He's very much a musical fan. And so podcast listeners, just imagine. This is... Where's it going on his bedroom wall? 
What's that? Where's that going? We don't know. Right now, it's just folded up very erratically and carried around and shown off. Um, and this well, is more actually... people will probably see it than just like those on his bedroom wall. It's true. Like, it's that's exactly support. right. That's exactly right. So this is... I just... Stay with me here. So there was a movie called Newsies with Christian Bale long time ago. That's all I've seen. That was turned into a musical. And this is the movie of the musical of the movie. So that's what we're talking about, right, Seth? Inception. Yes. Yep, exactly. Oh, wait, now, was Christian was Christian Bale in the other one that was at the same time? Oh my um, goodness. He doesn't even kids. acknowledge it anymore because he was it was a musical then. Like he was singing in the movie. Yeah. Huh. I don't I don't think he was very happy. <laughs> <laughs> now now just one piece of Seth news and then we're 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 moving on to uh to Dr. Gombas. Yep. Um, Seth, what, yeah. what, did we have school today? Nope. Why not? It, because it's a snow day. It's a oh, snow dude. day, ladies and gentlemen. That's the best. Snowpocalypse in Tennessee. Yeah, figure I see. <laughs> yep, we got four inches of snow and the city has shut down completely. Like, for two days. They were prematurely, like, shutting off school. I mean, it was ridiculous. And then, Tim Gombas, you said you got, had how much? Uh, like 14 inches. Yeah. Did they shut anything down? Not that I know of, but I, my life is shut down, so I don't get news of anything being shut down. I don't know if school, I mean, I wouldn't have kids in school, so I have no idea. Grocery yeah. stores open, and that's all that matters. Oh, amen. And is it true that you were out doing donuts? Donuts. Yeah. Uh, so I've got this little Volkswagen, and what's awesome is the snow gets packed down by all the cars on it, on the roads. And so you could just go flying down the street. Pull that emergency brake, you know, and just go <laughs> sliding down the road. It's fun. I love it. Wintertime fun for adults. I, I just love it. Yeah. I love it. Um, all right, Seth Theory, say goodbye to everybody. Huh? Say goodbye to everybody. No, do big shout outs. Okay, do do your big shout outs. Yes. And then we got to get going. Okay, do big shout outs. The first time I go first. Well, I'm going to do... No, you're doing the big shout outs. Today. Yes. You're doing them. Yes. Yes. So, uh, so, uh, he goes. Okay. Okay, here goes, Mr. Man. Ladies and gentlemen, here it goes. Come on. Uh, uh, I say a big shout out to, uh, Kevin for co host. Kevin for co host, okay. And, oh, and, okay, uh, I see. A big shout out to, uh, Tim, Devoted Tim Garvis. Tim Stafford, Tim Gombas, exactly. Uh, for, uh, for, for going to school. For going to school, yep. Oh. And um, a big shout out to Seth, Dynamic Hugh, awesome, a, a Fox podcast, a star, Tim Stafford, the Fox, Fox podcast. Yeah, Tim, the star of Vox podcast is Tim Stafford, yes. And a big shout out to Mr. Evans for Acapella. Yeah, we, 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 Marco Polo, Mr. Evans. His teacher from Ohio, so that gets a shout out. All right, buddy, you got one more. Um, hey, Tim Gombas. Yeah. Hey, do is it Tim Gombas? <laughs> Tim Gombas doesn't have any music to hit. Oh, hey Tim, hey, do is it? We already did the music, and we're not doing newsies, okay? okay. We're not doing newsies for the music. Okay, hey Tim, hey, do is it? All right, ladies and gentlemen, there it is. He's been waiting all week. That's awesome. Particularly once he found out it was a snow day and he was going to be here, so he had that all in his head. He just ran through it. Yeah, 
That's cool. For I can't remember anything anymore. For, for our 300th episode, we were do, I was doing shout outs to all the people that have helped. And that was, that was him doing that. Oh, cool. So anyway, happy new year. How you doing? Yeah, happy new year to you, both of you guys. I'm great. I mean, what, like, the last <clears throat> two days, what have you done? My goodness. I've shoveled uh, countless times um, and have taken a lot of walks. Um, I've read a bunch. Mm-hmm. I've gotten in, I'm, uh, Jump back into my study of Romans after being away from it for a couple of weeks. We we were traveling. We were in uh, Phoenix for about ten days with our kids, and you know after the New Year's transition, all that kind of stuff. Just getting back into some some routines, or I should say, trying to establish some routines. You know, yeah. I mean, all the New Year's resolution stuff. It's like it's a it doesn't it's not an abrupt start. It's sort of a transition into getting your act together. So yeah, I like that. Is there one? The is, is there one? Is there <laughs> one? Get your act together. Uh, uh, like habit that you were particularly committed to. Um, let's see. Yeah, uh, reading more with my phone away from me. Ooh, because it's just that's just the distracto device, and I, you know, I'm like everybody else in the modern world. I just gotta put it on airplane mode, leave it in the kitchen and sit somewhere and read. Yeah. And so I've been trying to do a little bit more of that. You know, I just finished this. It took me two days, finished this amazing book. I think both of you guys would absolutely dig. It's about Larry Norman. Mm-hmm. You guys remember him from why, way back? Why, why does the devil have all the good music? Yeah, Larry that's Norman. The name of the, that's the name of the book. It's oh called, why does the devil have all the good music? Uh, the, the life of Larry Norman and the, perils of rock or something like that perils of christian rock i mean it's just it's so fascinating just a <laughs> trip back into that that culture uh you know sort of the roots of contemporary christian music it was really really interesting so yeah i've been reading a bunch we're trying to i love that what about you stafford you got any new year's hesitations new year's resolutions hatred of any new holidays I've never resolutions have never worked for me so i just try to make better choices every day if i give myself lofty goals i don't hit them (laughs) (laughs) i love that so just a bit better than yesterday is the is the is the resolution i'm in the cloud right now i got i'm got i feel like i got hit by a truck from that booster oh Oh, yeah oh yeah when did you get it in the gutter right now yesterday and then i proceeded to build a i'm we're covering an entire wall with a built-in bookshelf from scratch oh wow so i went and got my booster Two days ago, I worked on that all day, and then got the booster yesterday morning. Came back and worked on it all day again. I think that might have been a mistake. Yeah. Oh yeah. And today, I just feel like I got thrown to the tumble dray. Oh yeah. Nice. Tis nice. the season. Yeah. <laughs> Start the year off with a bang. Yeah. What did you call it last week, Mike? You said you felt like a piece of vanilla parchment paper that had got drugged through the rain behind a truck. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it feels pretty accurate. Yeah. It, but but the nice thing is tonight, hopefully you'll be. You'll be feeling a lot better. We'll see. Everyone up here is getting COVID now. It's just like it's it's yeah. happening. It's just spreading like wildfire. It's kind of the cool thing insane. to do. It's really frustrating up to you. I, you know, we were so careful for two years to possibly yeah. be just get hit by it now. I just had to email. My, my semester starts next week. And I was like, hey, sorry, but if my kids are sick and this happens, I'm not going to be on campus. 
Wow. So are you doing virtual or? He just emailed me back right now and said that he he has our school. Um, I'll say this with no intonation is not has not been following any COVID protocols for the last few semesters. They're just oh, like, wow. you know, making it up no, as you go. No along. masks, no social distancing. Yeah. So I was, I'd have like one student and myself in each class that was wearing a mask last semester. Oh, wow. It was a little frustrating. Yeah. yeah. I think every region of the country is doing it different. Yeah. When we were in uh, Arizona, I don't, I hardly ever saw anybody with a mask. I'd say about 10% of the people. And then back here in Michigan, um, I, I would say for the last eight months, life in West Michigan is a, is as if there was no pandemic going on. <laughs> and then uh, the last couple of days, people have been masking up around town, like in the grocery mm. store and that kind of stuff. I think people are starting to get it. So I think Michigan is uh, sort of leading the country in um, COVID cases and hospitalizations and all that. We're out front um, taking the lead carrying the banner and uh I Ooh, think newsies reference. get a clue is it really <laughs> it's a newsies reference yes what carrying the banner what absolutely oh, that okay. is a, that's a one go. of the songs <laughs> well done carrying man i thought banner. that was i thought yeah <laughs> seth's like yeah <laughs> that wasn't well, intentional but if it oh, works you're so don't good. edit it out um no <laughs> never you kidding me? Yeah, man. A range of cultural references. I just I have to expand in there. So um, thanks again, man. We're just oh, Tim and I are always so grateful for your time and love chewing on Absolutely. some of this stuff with you. Um, if if you're in a vocational ministry or not, if you're in any leadership position, but particularly if you're a pastor. I cannot recommend Gombus's book "Power and Weakness" uh, any more highly. It's it, just an, a phenomenal read. If you're ever going to teach through the Book of Ephesians, uh, there is um, what do you call it? The Triumph of Ephesians. The drama of Ephesians. That's what I yeah, said. Participating in the triumph of God. There it is. Triumph. I knew that was in there. It's in there. <laughs> favorite <laughs> book. Favorite book on Ephesians ever. Hail to and the then, victors. And then if you're interested in Romans, good Lord, here's a seminary level class happening on his podcast, Faith Improvised. So it is Thanks, incredible. Man. Yeah, check so it out. Great work, dude. Great work. Um, I, I, have a, I have a range of different topics and I'd be shocked if we make it through all of them. But um, the first thing, we're recording this on January 7th, the day after, of course, uh, January 6th, the one-year anniversary of, of all the nonsense at the Capitol. And I was wrestling with kind of how to, uh, a year later, just shouting at how awful it was doesn't seem to be doing much. Um, but, but how should we conceive as Christian people, how, how should we conceive of what happened that day and what our response should be, particularly around those brothers and sisters who really do see it as not a big deal. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's a real, uh, well, I guess in, in a lot of ways, I've just have a range of responses and reactions, uh, sort of observations. Uh, and then thinking about how to talk to people who think that it's no big deal. Um, I've been, on one hand, um, I've been trying to monitor my own responses to it. Like, am I outraged by it? Am I not surprised by it? Because there's there's a sense in which um, 
um, I'm partly shocked. It, it, it was a shocking scene and it was a shocking occurrence. And I'm, I'm partly inclined to think that it is shocking to me because I am a thoroughgoing American who believes in all of the false hopes and promises that America has delivered to me. Mm. That this is th- that we are the great that we're the that we are the hope of humankind, that we are the apex of history, that all of history has led to us, um, that we are here to sort the world out and to you know to um, deliver freedom to the masses and all this kind of stuff. And um, I think that I'm shocked to see things unravel because I am deluded and because illusions have had their effect on me. Wow. Um, wow. I mean, Mark's gospel has really shaped so many things for me. And um, when um, in Mark 13, Jesus is talking to his disciples and his disciples look at the temple stones and they're like, Jesus, this is so impressive. Aren't you amazed by this? And Jesus says, yeah, check out these big stones. Um, something's going to happen where this thing is going to be torn down soon and not one stone will be left on another. And all hell is going to break loose and you're going to have to figure out how to um, survive when the city is destroyed. And they're just like, what are you talking about? Isn't everything going to continue as it always has? Isn't this God's house? And Jesus tells them, like, things are good. This is not, don't give in to these illusions that what appears solid and stayed and firm. Don't, Mm -hmm. don't think that that can't just change in an instant. So um, I guess I've kind of wondered to myself, like, why do I think that institutions can't fall? Why do I think that um, America is not just this kind of passing era of history and is only just a very small slice of a larger picture? Um, So I've, I've been trying to manage my own illusions. Um, also, just reading as much history as I possibly can, um, things come apart, man. Things just come apart. And when you read American history and these flashpoints, like uh, going back, like the Civil War uh, and the Revolution, um, all of the public rhetoric going on is exactly what has been happening over the last, say, 40 years and certainly the last 20 years um, like the way that outlets like Fox News have built, you know, a, a multi-billion dollar business on stirring up anger and resentment in the populace with this over-the-top rhetoric about how people are trying to steal the nation away and all that kind of stuff. And um, that, when you read history, that leads to stuff. All the rhetoric that led up to, you know, the Boston Tea Party and Lexington and Concord and the, and the rise um everything leading up to the civil war that all starts with a lot of anger and resentment. And um, so I I think we should not be surprised at, at this happening. Um, I think it's the best thing to do to take a very coldly realistic view of stuff and to think Mm -hmm. this, this was the first event of a, of a a lot of stuff that's going to happen down the road. I think we're going to have a lot of civil trouble um, over the next years. Wouldn't be surprised. I've also been thinking a lot about um, how it is that um, so much of, if we think in terms of Mark, so much of um, American Christianity and American evangelicalism, and I would say this is particular to white evangelical Christianity in America, 
so much has actually become, and this is, this sounds so over the top, it's become satanic. And what I mean is this, uh, in Mark's gospel, Jesus tells Peter that he's going to go to the nation's capital to die. And Peter's aim is to actually go to the nation's capital and to unleash violence. And in fact, he does. When Jesus is arrested in Gethsemane uh, or Gethsemane, he, um, (laughs) uh, Peter tries to defend Jesus. He's going to defend Jesus. and He lashes out at one of the people that comes to arrest him. And um, Jesus tells him to put away his sword. And also he calls Peter satanic when uh, Peter objects to Jesus going to the nation's capital to die. So I think it's important that we see what happened a a year ago where where you had a lot of Christian imagery and people thinking that they were doing uh, serving the Christian God by coming to the nation's capital to unleash violence. And I mean, I just saw a picture of the, uh, the noose the other day. Yeah. Um, That was their aim. And I think it's important that we see um, that whole movement and that, and people who are sympathetic with it. I think a lot of people would not have gone to the nation's capital and put themselves at risk, but they look at, at what happened and they say, that's maybe pushing it too far, but I get it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I get what they were doing. Yeah. And I think it's really important that we see that as um, absolutely in utter opposition to anything having to do with the God revealed in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you, how do you regard other um, how do you, I never know how to answer questions about how do you be in conversation with people that have that view. I just, I mostly am not in conversation or I just try to ask questions to draw them out to further my own understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it's a sad, I think, picture of the, the very tragic state of um, American Christianity, unfortunately. But it, it's, it's not like this happened over the last five years. My question always is, where did this start? Or what are the roots of this? And it goes back, you know, over 400 years. So it's, it's kind of the, you know, the pimple bursting. You saw, <laughs> I don't have any other metaphor. It's January 7th. It's the yeah. explosion of something awful, but it's like, this was building for a long time. Mm. No, I think that's so interesting. Um, the shattering of the illusion of the promise of America. I, I've not regarded it that way. That's, I think that's man. a lot of, I think you, uh, the three of us have a lot of work to do as white males. Cause mm-hmm. I think that we are the ones most prone, um, to believing in all the best about America. I mean, I still, when I go to baseball games and they play the national anthem, my the hair on my arm stands up. It's like, it's, it's in our bodies. I mean, we were trained from the time we were young kids, from the time you can remember anything to, have a positive view of the military and have this hopeful vision of America and the national anthem and the flag. And that stuff doesn't, you, you don't just sort of reevaluate things and then change your position intellectually. It's, it's Mm. deeply embedded. Mm. And I find myself having to sort of rethink every day. Who am I? Why do, why are my sentiments in this direction? Why do I, why am I not as upset as um, like, say Mm. if I've got uh, you know, a black female colleague, when she hears about something that happens and she's upset about it and can articulate why um, from a really robustly Christian perspective, I'm like, why don't I have that perspective? Like mm. what illusions have I given into that, um, that I didn't see that as like, that's an emergency. I thought that as fine. 
mm-hmm. but she saw it differently. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm all like always trying to reevaluate um, how was I taught, how was I wired to have loyalties to some earthly invention, whereas uh, my loyalties should be to the kingdom of God alone. Mm-hmm. I think that's a lifelong project. It doesn't just sort of like stop once you've like realized a few things. Yeah. And if there is more civil disturbance, how do we both prophetically call out what's non-Christian or anti-Christian, but at the same time not engage in the enemy-making that Jesus seems to prohibit in the Sermon on the Mount? How do we posture ourselves in the midst of, you know, because there seems to be self-righteousness on both sides. Um, There seems to be... Yeah. Okay. So that's the, so you kind of gave me a head thing, which is interesting. So what's that? What did that provoke in you? I don't know. I guess I'm just always trying to think about. Um, oh boy. I don't know what. Um, whenever I hear on both sides, I always think. Yeah, where that's, that, come, that was the where look that you gave from? me. That was the look you gave me. You gave me the. You gave me that head I'm one not, way, then head the other. I'm never. I am never. I don't know. I don't know what the sides are. So I guess I just don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't. The sentiment that wants to look at both sides, I'm always suspicious of, hmm. because I don't want to. I'm always. Um, I'm never directing a target of my analysis or critique or examination at like, like this side only or that side only. Mm-hmm. I'm always interested in me. Like I'm the target of critique. I want to know how I can do it, how I can be a more faithful disciple. I'm not interested in the guy across the street, him being a more faithful disciple. I don't really know him that well. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to say, well, I've critiqued myself enough. It's time for me to critique Bill, you know? Yeah. The only, like, the only critique we've ever. American vehicle. <laughs> yeah. The only critique we've ever really heard from you that had any harshness to it was the quippers on your walk, the people that want to make small talk yeah. when you're walking. That, that, yeah, I will relentlessly critique them. <laughs> yeah, because there it's like, hey. On that topic, there's definitely one side or the other. Boundaries. That's a boundaries issue. Yeah, I just, I, I think that the issue for me is like, um, uh, how can I be a more faithful disciple and how can I and the people that I find myself among, how can we be more faithful disciples and where are we, where are we off track? Mm-hmm. Where are our sentiments off track? Where are our words and actions off track? And um, that that's the only issue. Yeah. So uh, if, yeah. if we're, if we are being a people that identify other people as enemies, something's wrong with that. And the, the, the call is hey let's let's regard others as friends or what's preventing us from obeying Jesus and loving our enemies? Um, right. right, that's that's what we've got to cultivate. So it's not like you know critique you're wrong. Let's make sure we say both sides are wrong. Um, I don't I don't know what other sides are. I don't know what the other sides are, and I don't know what other sides are doing or not doing. All I know is um, I've been trained to see other people as enemies, and I dwell among a people that have been trained to identify nothing but enemies, and that's got to be corrected. So what what is it that makes us a violent people? What are our hopes and expectations? And what do we see as promising? And what do we see as our commission? Are we called to take America back for God? Or are we called to um, be kingdom citizens and um, you know, live with open hands and be charitable and kind and gracious? I don't know. And wh- what's standing in the way of all that? What do we see as threatening about Jesus' call to be kingdom citizens? 
I think yeah. we do. Th- I do. I think that American Christians do see a lot threatening about what Jesus has to say. And um, I'm always interested in like, what, why do we see Jesus as a threat? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what, what kingdom is he impinging upon? Yeah. When he, when he begins to, to teach. Yeah. Um, I always think about when, when I'm, when I'm talking with, uh, I had a couple of conversations recently along these lines and uh, I, I just tried to ask good questions. Like I just was saying, um, uh, somebody was saying about how, um, you know, well, we can't, you know, about tax rates, this, this kind of stuff. And I just was trying to say, well, shouldn't we be making sure that the least of these are taken care of? Shouldn't we uh, be making surely, or what do you think about that? Mm-hmm. Um, or what do you think about um, uh, loving our enemies? And if this group of people you see as our enemies, what do you think about loving them? And this person was like, well, you can't, well, what about? And mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I was thinking afterwards that the, the questions when we're talking about how Jesus's teachings run up against our national way of life. The questions that start with, well, what about, or, well, you can't just, those are like, those are the, the arrows that point to where our idolatries lie and where mm. our, our obstacles are to actually following Jesus. And like, what are those? Mm. That's really good. I That's, just think that I, I feel like let's camp there and start digging. Right. So Tim, I and I love that man. That is that is such a powerful um, teaching from Jesus that the object of critique is me, uh, and yet we live in this social reality called the church. And um, and and I got a question when you were on last time with us. We were talking about unity. Like, what are the limits of mm-hmm. of unity? And this question is actually going to provoke a multi-sort of episode series from us, but I thought I'd hit you up first. And um, I love, because it ties directly into what it is that that we're talking about. Um, She writes, you and Gombas and so many others are advocating for church unity. So anytime I get grouped with Gombas, I'm I'm in. I'm happy. How yeah, in the Jesus world? Jesus and Paul did too. So we're all right. We're in good company. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I were in Corinth, I would be of Gombas and of Stafford. <laughs> just saying, just saying that right now. I'm on everybody's team. How in the world, she writes, do we unite with racists, those who disrespect women, fail to care for the marginalized and oppressed, advocate and support and attach themselves to Trump, fail to actively love and listen and embrace the LGBTQ community? As a follower of Jesus, to unite with everything opposed to him seems to be attaching oneself to evil. Worse yet, the witness to anyone who doesn't know Jesus is completely confusing and abhorrent. I have many gay friends and others in my life who have zero understanding of the love of Christ, mostly because of the witness of the church. I am deeply and profoundly struggling with the notion of unity. Am I to unite with a church system that doesn't reflect nor genuinely embrace the love of Jesus? or sacrificial love of neighbor. Lots of lots of lip service oftentimes given to this, but no real fruit. Um, <laughs> I personally am so appreciative of you both, um, but am really struggling with this topic. So yes, I am the object of critique. Step one, no question about it. Um, but then how does that work itself out relationally? So yes, we can avoid conversation. We can print, you know, and, and, and ask good questions. But when we talk about unifying as a community, when when they're, you know, and it's to the both sides thing, right? I mean, 
on some of these issues, we'd say, well, there aren't two sides. There's there's a side that stands with the the Christian vision of God in Christ, and there's a, a side that doesn't, but calls itself Christian. How do we operate in um, in dynamics that are new creation oriented, while still recognizing the deep divisions um, and, and sometimes having to to separate on some of these things? Yeah, that's it. <clears throat> Uh, those are all great questions and observations. And I, I think that um, I'll, a couple of thoughts on that. First of all, um, those are all my questions. You totally get it. Yes, period. <laughs> this is exactly where I'm at. I, I just don't know. I feel like um, I, I completely get it. And those are, that's a great articulation of my current dilemma. I've tried to be honest about where I'm at. I... Um, that I'm in this long years long crisis of recognizing what's what in American Christianity. And I'm not, I don't ever talk about anything as a person that has the answers of where to go or what to do. Yeah. But I think as part of a solution, or I, sh- I should say it this way. Um, my, my question always is what available postures, behaviors, attitudes um, that are Christian, what, what available uh, options for behavior and ways forward are there in response to this. Hmm. And uh, so we can identify some. I, I don't, I'm pretty sure I'm not called to be a prophet, so I can't stand outside of any group of racists or misogynists or white nationalists and say, it's you people that are the problem. Hmm. I'm in it, so I'm part of it. Hmm. And that's promising because one of the available postures and practices of being Christian is confession of sin. Hmm. So this is why I say, I don't stand outside and critique one side. I'm part of this group. I am a part, I'm a part of the racist group. So I can confess mm-hmm. sin and I can confess my sin and the sin of the people that I'm part of confess national sin, confess um, ecclesial sin. Um, and I can talk about it and I can write about it. Um, I can have conversations about it, learn more about it. A disciple is a learner. So I, I can embark on a mission of learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and a Christian posture is, um, you know, finding new friends, turning people who should be enemies into friends. So meeting new people and becoming a, a partner in, uh, figuring out what it means to be a follower of Jesus, given all of this stuff going on. Mm-hmm. So that, I guess it's like, there's, there's a lot that's available. I, one thing that does not seem to me to be available is, um, I'm not a magisterial authority. Like I'm not a Pope or a mm-hmm. bishop or anything like that. So I can't say, Hey, that's not Christianity. Like what, this is what's real Christianity. People that aren't racist and all this kind of stuff. I, I'm not a, I'm not a papal authority that I can say that. Does that make sense? I, it does. It does. I, it's like, it, it's a, what, to me, it's like, this is the Christian church in America. So I can't say that's not Christian. <laughs> and I don't want to say, Hey, unbelievers, this isn't what, this isn't really the way of Jesus. It's like, well, this is the people that over hundreds of years have claimed to be the, the people of Jesus. And all I can say is, and I don't want to be arrogant and say, yeah, there's something wrong with them. What I want to do is be inclusive of myself in the problem and say, yes, there's something wrong with us. Mm-hmm. And it's everything that you're saying in critique is true. That's us. And where do we go from here? Well, I'm, I'm busy lamenting and confessing sin uh, I'm also responding to Jesus in the gospel of Mark and recognizing that my duty at this point is to keep my mouth shut because I don't think that from my experience, 
in the church in America, I just don't think we have a whole lot to say to the world except I'm sorry and we have it really bad. We, we, we've done really bad and I'm ready to talk about that. I'm not ready to talk about how God has a wonderful plan for your life. Yeah, I'm ready to talk about how we've really screwed it up. So I, I think it's worth recognizing that we're in a really bad place historically and let's mm-hmm. get about identifying that, talking about it um, and not be self-righteously condemning others but identifying how the present evil age has its hooks in all of us and how it's really complicated. Mm-hmm. And in the conversations, we can maybe identify some ways forward. And what so, are those? Yeah, I, I think though, um, I don't, I'm not, I, I agree completely, not that I'm some magisterium, but it seems like that drops a, 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 an available Christian posture of, um, loving confrontation, dealing with specks and logs. You know, I look at Paul um, in Galatians talking to Peter about not living in the truth of the, walking towards the gospel, the truth of the gospel. Isn't there a place for that? Um, when we yeah, there may be okay. Um, yeah, yeah, honestly, I think this is where this is the way forward is to ask those kind of questions. Like, when is that time? When is that time? And what are those right situations? Um, I think there's a, there's a lot of possibilities. Yeah. And I would want to say that that is another available posture is actually calling this out in our communities. It's just, uh, but calling it out takes a lot of wisdom and, but calling it out in such a way. So as not to imply my superiority over that, which is being called out, but rather my uh, participation in. Yeah, the blood is on all of our hands. And so mm-hmm. I guess my question is like, what, I, I mean, I got to say, I'm in a quandary because like, what do you call people to then? Like, it's one thing to say, hey, we have a problem of long-term, um, uh, a long-term racialized culture that the church is complicit in. Yeah, And so it's like, I think we can say, what if I said that to my community? Mm-hmm. Um, what do we do about it? You know? Yeah, I think a lot of people would actually agree. Okay, well then, what's step B? I don't know. I just thought I'd say that. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, but, I think but, it's but, worth but, calling this out. But what do you do with the people who don't agree with you, and agreed that the 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 most Christ-like posture is um, self-sacrificial love, particularly towards enemy? But I, I guess I'm wrestling with, you know. The, the, her question is is deeper um, than um, like how do I how do I unify if there are people in my community who aren't just recognizing their complicity in this but are actively engaging in such injustices? Um, I, am I called to unify with them? And yeah, if so, what know. does that look like? I honestly don't know. I think that there are a lot of possible. Um, I mean, there are possible answers to this in the New Testament. You've got one, say, like in Hebrews, come out, get out, leave, and do something different because it's corrupt. Yeah. So that's an that's an option. And then there's another option of um, you, this is the corrupt people that you're a part of. Get busy cultivating the practice of confession of sin. The hard part for me is like, I don't know the person that wrote this question. I don't know. I don't know her church community. Yeah. So it's like they're they're. 
there are 17,000 contingencies as far as like, well, what about, well, what about, well, what about, mm -hmm. I don't know. And I, I sit in my church, uh, weekly trying to answer that question. And I, I honestly do not know. What yeah. do you do? Yeah. Because it, it's like, I can say, fine, you people are corrupt and a bunch of you are racist. I'm out. Right. That's, that's an available behavior. <laughs> leave and you may need to do that and i wouldn't i wouldn't question that um but then that because because we're we're in a long term um this is a long journey what's what my question would be then what's next mm -hmm. what's next where, where do you go to find the non-racist church where do you you know i i don't know and where do you um where do you go to find the church that has it sorted out or is is they don't have it sorted out, but they're really on a journey. These are um, these are the questions that I'm asking myself because I'm part of a church that's kind of been in long-term meltdown, and I've tried to discern for myself: do I do I leave? Do I stay? Um, that church across town seems to be doing what I feel like I found in the New Testament. We're we're being directed to do, um, and I, I don't I don't. I don't know. I've been kind of stuck in between a number of things, but I've, I've just kind of thought, well, I'm, I'm a committed part of this group of people. I'm not going to just bail. I'm going to stick it out and just see if it can see how some good can be done. I, but people have bailed and I've, I've thought, yeah, I get it. Believe me. I get it. Well, so I think that there are with your previous, like last year or whatever, we've brought up a bunch of times the, you should be afraid of, you know, bringing anybody to Christ because you're saying, I'm going to walk with you for, the rest of the time, like I'm committing to this journey with you for good or bad. Cause I've been realizing like the facade of America for me dissolved in 2002, maybe when there was two moments, one, when Bush got on the boat with the mission accomplished sign and we all cheered and we're like, but wait, what, what was accomplished or what did we win? Is it over? But there was this big swell of patriotism that had mm -hmm. nothing behind it. And then the other one was when he was talking about, fighting something and then said now watch my golf swing or whatever there was such a facade that was built up that i was like oh this is this isn't real now i don't know what is real and i've seen that with the church as well with um yesterday somebody was talking about being at the january 6th riot and he was saying that he was like i was there they were singing worship songs by the gallows that's that's how it was like mm -hmm. that's a hard that's a really hard picture to wrap He's like, this was very much like a Christian event. Like mm. they were, they were proclaiming God and they were, and that was all part of what was happening. And I wasn't there. I don't know. But what I do know is that, you know, I have friends who <clears throat> are possibly not being good husbands, but I realized that I was also super rude yesterday to my wife. I was like, I'm 20 years in and I'm still not being like the best husband I can be. I'm not being the best like ally I can be. I'm not being the best neighbor I can be. That comes up all the time. So for me, it's like, how do I live? How do I live within that, within these groups of people? Because there is no, it's kind of like you said, there is no us and them. I'm, I'm still, when I think about the worst sinner in the room, but then take it back to the new creation series and talk about sin as that cycle, like being caught in this cycle of missing the mark or whatever. And I was like, well, then the, how does that, how does that define me being like a, a, a big sinner in a room? What am I contributing to that's still contributing to pain? Like I grew up, 
I grew up in a country that is misogynist and racist and has a long history of that. That is built into my DNA. So I have to confront that on a daily basis still, no matter what I think of myself. I think I've always just like, I think I've been taught that everything's black and white and you can arrive at a really good place if you work hard enough. And not just like financially speaking, but emotionally and like theologically, spiritually, theologically, yeah, just be, you, you can, you can be this best version. And I think that I don't, I just don't see that as truth anymore. And now I just see like every day I have to work a little bit harder if I want to see good fruit. Yeah, I totally get it. I totally get it. I, I think what, to get back to that question, I think that what I'd want to say is I don't think that it, it seems to me, and I'm just taking this personally, I can't kind of piggyback in on off of what you're saying to him. I don't think that I'm in a place where I can say, um, yes, unity is a massive issue for Jesus and for Paul and for God in throughout scripture, but there comes a point where you can sort of check out of it. If the church is corrupt enough. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, there's a way of, of responding to God's priority of unity by staying connected and adopting the Christian posture of confession of sin and maybe even mm. trying to move to move into that space of, of speaking a prophetic word. But that just, um, I guess what I'd want to say is if you feel you want to exercise the office of a prophet, <laughs> read the history of what happens to prophets. <laughs> and if you are ready to pay that price, um, then step in there and go for it because you'll get your took his hand to you because if you identify uh i mean uh i'd want to know about like Kristen dumais and beth allison bars uh email inboxes oh if you call out if you call out the patriarchy the patriarchy will come after you with a vengeance if you call out the racialized character of america uh um, you know white america will come after you with a vengeance so you got to know what you're you're signing up for um, and I'm pretty sure I'm not a prophet, but what I am, uh, or what I claim to be as a Christian and I can confess sin. And so when I see like, um, outright misogyny or racism, I don't step apart from it and say, Hey, that's racist. Um, I, I try to try to take that place alongside and say, this is me. I'm this, I'm this, and I can confess sin. you know, the, these, all of this present evil age behavior and, uh, impulse and instinct, it's part of me. Um, and so I think it's a valuable thing to sit in church and just say, like Isaiah, um, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. I'm a man with blood on my hands. I dwell among a people with blood on our hands. Lord have mercy. And just like give us wisdom as far as how to move forward in repentance and shed light on what that looks like. I think I'd, I'd love to see that be more of our prayer and posture, mm-hmm. but yeah, you don't get to, it doesn't seem like you get to say, you don't, you don't have an independent standpoint where you get to say, well, the church is corrupt to X extent. I'm out, you know, and I'm do I'm, I'm over here on my own in the space of purity, doing what God wants humanity to do. Hmm. So, so is there any room in churches for what's classically referred to as church discipline are there ever occasions where the church has to confront and expel or withdraw from somebody um, when behavior is egregious enough 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. How how does that jive with um really focusing on the lamenting and the grieving of sin and seeing my participation in systems? Oof, boy, I think that's going to be pretty complicated, but I think um be- That's why you're here, dude. That we're not listen. Yeah, we could ask you like <laughs> Hey, how are the Cubs doing this year? You know, we know the answer to that. We know. Yeah. They'll start great. out. Yeah. Oh, dude, Brutal. yes. Oh, you poor. No wonder you're focused on lamenting right now. Yeah, I know. You're this is going to be a brutal, brutal season. Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, yeah, the church should indeed. The church body <clears throat> is, a, is a body of people that find the way forward in Jesus and embody kingdom of God life. And then when there's a member uh, that wants to dwell among the people of God, but cultivate a non-kingdom of God life, that has to be addressed. And um, the church calls that person to rejoin the community in kingdom of God-oriented life. And if there's persistent resistance, then expulsion you know, um, becomes the step. But that's, yeah, not sure. a prophetic, but, but that's not a prophetic role of the church, right? No, that's just sort of a, a cleansing role of the church to get in. If there's an agent of darkness within the body, you've got to put, put that person out um, so that they're um, experiencing the fullness of the, you know, the implications of that pursuit so that they're then propelled back into the body. Yeah. But uh, it just seems like with regard to all these other issues, at least the churches, I'm just, I always try to think about my own church. Mm-hmm. Um, my church is so far from considering uh from deeply considering how embedded we are within the practices and habits of capitalism and the practices and habits and the imagination of a racialized culture and and patriarchy. So, I mean, we just have a long way to go as far as um, I don't, I'm not sure that there would be a person that would be persistent. I I don't know. I don't don't know what that would look like. I just think churches as a whole, um, need to take those first steps of discovery of how are we actually complicit mm-hmm. in these larger structures. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. there's a place for church discipline, but that would be down. That'd be down the road, I think, from what this person is mm-hmm. is writing about. Um, I th- mm-hmm. They sound like they're writing from a place of just quandary and confusion, as far as like, well, what do we do if, given th- the current state of like American Christianity as it's embodied in so many of these communities. Right. That's so an I, overwhelming question from, from an indi- individual perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I'm trying to find that space because on the one hand, you know, you, you're rightly warning against per, the standing outside and offering prophetic critique. But, but there is an insider prophetic posture that we can still adopt. And I guess that's the one I'm trying to clarify around to say, you know, that, that posture is full of lament and grief, but it still confronts even acknowledging the log, you know, in my eye. I mean that, and so I guess I'm just trying to work out like how, because unity can also be a bludgeon to just just hammer people into, you know, either don't ask, don't tell postures or, hey, don't bring this up because we don't want to split anybody. Um, so there's a there seems like there's a good unity and a um, and a and a very damaging kind of call to unity. I'm trying to flesh out the difference. 
Yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. Like, as far as when there's abuse, hey, don't don't talk about abuse in, in our community because that's going to really do yep. damage to our public witness. Yeah, that's yeah, that's more just important. that's nothing but corruption. That's pure evil. Yeah, I mean, I the problem is it's just very difficult to know what to do with all the contingencies that people have. Like, I'm yeah. part of a church that's about 45 people. Yeah. So um, on Sunday, I'm gonna. There's a great book you guys may have already read it by Dante Stewart called Shouting in the Fire. It's no, you recommended book. it. Yeah, it is it's brilliant. So I'm bringing that book to church Sunday in in our adult formation time. Um, we're going to read that together and then discuss it over the next uh, two weeks. So mm. it's like I I'm not a prophet. Um, I I'm a I'm I'm central to the institutional you know uh, structure of things. But I I talked to the adult formation group and I said, hey, you know, I think what one of the big things that we ought to be uh, thinking about is how our racialized culture affects all of us and how it is, how it is the case that for all of us in this room, you know, all 15 of us, you know, living in West Michigan is, is amazing. It's amazing. All of our homes are going up in value, great restaurants, great bars. Um, mm-hmm. It's the best place in America to raise a family. And it's also, it's also, (laughs) but okay, certainly no place in Ohio, but it is, um, (laughs) it is, it's one of the most difficult cities in America to live as a black family and as, as Mm. a black person. Mm. So in, in this city where we have a lot of black brothers and sisters, how is it that we can reckon with, with that? How do, how do we just let's start a long-term journey? So we're going to start by reading Dante Stewart's book together. Mm. So I think that that's, you know, that's one way, again, I'm not a prophet, so I don't want to act like a prophet. Um, and so to me that that's one way where I can say, Hey, this is something always trying to use first person plural, um, pronouns. Yeah. This is something that we can do together and, and how do we reckon with how we are embedded in, in this larger structure and how do we do that in a way that actually, um, maintains a, a Christian stance because we, we've got to do that. We can't use guilt or shame because we're people loved by God. So we can't, and we're people forgiven. So you can't use guilt and shame. Um, how do you use hope and promise to talk about mm. a kingdom of God way forward um, that opens and expands our imaginations together? So that's one thing that we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And that's got to mm-hmm. be part of a long-term journey of discovery. Um, and it's got to be <clears throat> persistent and consistent and persistently and consistently Christian. So we've got to stay in that place of not shaming and not guilting uh, and not condemning. Um, right. If Paul says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, you can't use condemnation. Um, a prophet can, but somebody that's within the church can't. So to me, it's, it's so complicated because all of your, uh, um, oh, what's the name of the book? Uh, he wrote a book called White Awake. Oh yes, and he talks. Yes. He talks about how it is that people that are discovering um, the dynamics of race initially get this super fueled zeal of like self righteousness, condemning everybody and calling it out. And it's like that. That is so short term. That's just compl- That's a great way to nosedive any of the good that you want to do. Mm. It doesn't do any good. So it's like that second step has to be taken and a lot of subsequent steps in thinking creatively about how do you address all of these evil arrangements 
in ways that actually um, forge pathways that people can see going forward. Mm-hmm. That takes a lot of work. It's not simple. So sort of just to expect a simple answer is just, it's mm-hmm. not realistic. Yeah. I, I always try to think about this. Um, whatever year John Winthrop landed on this land that we all inhabit together and started this long-term process of genocide and slavery and uh, regular warfare against native peoples and then spreading to the rest of the globe in the name of the Christian God, whatever year that was, maybe the, was it the late 1500s or I'm not sure. Uh, whatever, whatever year that was, that's how long this process of the corruption of Christianity on this land has been going on. Yeah. So it's not like you can have a podcast episode and say, well, here's the answer. I mean, Tim, I should, we should, you're <laughs> undermining our whole project. Come on. I think we should expect that this is going to take a while. Not that that should foster complacency. Like, well, it's a slow process. You, you know, you got to just yeah. deal with it. Yeah. Like, you know, what uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was call, calling out moderate whites, uh, you know, you got to take mm-hmm. this slow. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about we should expect that this will be thorny and complicated. And um, if we've got good friends that have joined us in the process, we can all we can we can hold each other accountable from getting comfortable and mm-hmm. be pushing each other to take some uncomfortable steps. Um, I think that's really good. It's going to be hard. It's going to be really tough. Yeah. But yeah, it is really tough and we'll pay consequences. Mm-hmm. Um we will pay consequences. We'll lose positions, and we'll yeah. it, we'll pay if you, if you want to. If you want to Hypothet- hypothetically call right? us out, yeah, it seems to be part of the plot. Stafford, you got any last thoughts, ma'am? My brain is spinning over here. Yeah, no, I just keep thinking. Gombas, last time you were on, you said something about the um, powers and principalities of anger, and so my wife has brought that up to me a few times since then. Every time I get angry. Cause I do, I look at all this kind of stuff and I do get really angry and then I have to stop and reposture and then try to think clearly about like, all right, why am I angry? What do I think anger is going to solve? Like, how do I calm down and think, you know, or just sit? And I was also thinking yesterday, I was talking to somebody who's marrying a Jewish girl and they're having the wedding in the temple and all that, but they're not doing like, I was like, you know, you know, traditionally you'd be there for like seven days. Isn't that cool? Like you guys would have this long wedding and i was thinking about that and i was thinking about sitting shiva with people or whatever like mourning and lamenting quietly with someone over a long period how much of that is built into like Mm -hmm. sitting with someone for a long period of time like that's just such a consistent piece of the puzzle Mm -hmm. is just being with people no matter the circumstance like you're just saying i'm going to be a part of this community and i'm going to listen i'm going to be quiet i'm going to celebrate i'm going to grieve i'm going to lament i'm going to have joy i'm going to have hope we're going to do this together and it seems to be that that stays consistent all the way through is just like, we're going to have to figure this out. Mm-hmm. I really don't think we're ever going to figure it out. So I've let that part go. And now I'm just trying to figure out like, how do I posture myself with a group of people in a way that allows them to be, feel safe to confess and safe to learn and grow. How do I like lessen my pride to be willing to confess and, you know, be real and then how does that kind of reverberate with each other out from there like what can we do to auburn auburn's got i think things make me angry i'll see a little church lady driving by with a let's go brandon sticker on her car and i'm just like reconciling all of that 
like the patriotic unpatriotism, the Christian hate and vulgarity. It's like this weird conundrum that instantly sets me off. But to no to no end, to no, nothing good, nothing constructive. Yeah. Well, I think also I think it's important to keep in mind once you start seeing all all the corruptions, you see it and everywhere. It's important to to imagine what would because Paul talks about putting off the old humanity and then putting on the new. What would it look like to put on the new humanity? Right. Like, what are the concrete steps? And then I think it's important to actually, if you're going to talk about it, I think it's important for you to take one or two concrete steps and see how actually tough it is before you call somebody else to do yeah. it. Like I, I started uh, a couple years ago teaching in the county jail on Friday afternoons. Man, I am I am thoroughly upper middle class white suburbanite. And, and stepping into that context was like, it stressed me out to no end. So you can't just flippantly say, hey, let's do this. You know, let's take this step or you should be doing that because it's tough to do. See how hard it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See how hard it is to develop relationships with churches in a different of a different socioeconomic status or a racial profile and have that be the case for the long a long haul like these are these are tough steps to reverse the evil that's been done i'm not saying that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it but if we want to be people that call stuff out let's be people that take difficult steps and imagine so that we see how difficult it is and then we can sort of do the imaginative work to figure out ways of talking about it that will give light to other people and not just so that we're not just flamethrowers mm. right it's so good man it's hard work Tim. it's hard work being christian <laughs> it's also I, the way of life so it's not so bad oh yeah i can think of worse ways um i'm just so grateful to you know for the opportunity to process this stuff together it's so fun yeah me too it's a great time man yeah yeah i'm just grateful that you are continually up for these conversations and grateful for your work. And um, if you want to check out, uh, Tim has a blog, faithimprovised.com. But the podcast is where I would direct anybody first. Um, and there's a range of topics there from Mark's gospel to spiritual abuse to kinds of belonging that don't need enemies to um, uh, he's doing a series Cubbies. on Romans. And the, the lots of laments around the Cubs, yes. Cubs talk will be coming sometime later this year, depending on when the lockout ends. Yeah. Oh, I know. I know. We're ready. We're ready. I got it. Capitalism at work. Capitalism ruins everything, including <laughs> baseball. <laughs> oh, college football is where I'm seeing it. I mean, it's nuts oh, yeah. these days. Yeah. Um, anyway, man, thank you again for your time. We love you. We appreciate welcome. you. Thank you. All right, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash voxology. You can also Join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials. Facebook.com backslash Voxology Podcast and on Instagram at Voxology. Thank you, thank you, thank you for walking the long road with us.